Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. God chooses ordinary people. What kind of life do you have? Well, most people would probably answer that question with one word, ordinary. Most of us think of ourselves as ordinary people who live ordinary lives. But the truth is, as far as God is concerned, there's no such thing as ordinary. Mary made it possible for the Son of God to come into the world, to go to the cross, uh, the, the the whole story. God can and does use anybody. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to this week's Crosswalk. We hope you're having a great Christmas season. Here at Cross Culture Church, we're in the middle of a Christmas time series entitled Close Encounters of the Most Important Kind. Each week, Pastor Clay is walking us through a biblical account of someone's close encounter with an angel at the time of the birth of Christ. And today, we're taking a look at Mary's close encounter with the angel Gabriel as he brought to Mary the news that she would soon give birth to the Savior of the world. Mary was a nobody. But ladies and gentlemen, that's what God does. God uses ordinary people. You know, I'm sure Mary's mind must have been racing a million miles an hour as she receives the news from Gabriel. Well, as we'll hear today from Pastor Clay, there was nothing special about Mary from the world's perspective. She was, in fact, a very ordinary girl. But as we'll hear today, when God's involved in our life, it's anything but ordinary. Now here's Pastor Clay with part two of Close Encounters of the Most Important Kind. We are talking about close encounters of the most important kind. Not with aliens, but with angels. Those encounters that changed not only the lives of the people that had these encounters with the angels, but changed our lives, changed our uh, eternities. I think sometimes as uh, evangelical Christians, as followers of Jesus, we, we sometimes shy away from the, um, uh, the potential to put Mary on too high of a pedestal. Um, and we do that sometimes perhaps uh, to our to our fault because perhaps we don't often give her enough credit for this young teenage girl to be willing to do what she did, to be willing to say, may it be done to your bond slave, your maiden, as you have said. The story is in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. Would you all just read verse 37 with me out loud again? For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It is a beautiful and powerful message, story, account that, as I said a moment ago, changed the world forever. I want to take this close encounter that Mary had with the angel Gabriel. I want to take Uh, this close encounter of the most important kind and share with you this morning uh, just three ideas about uh, how profound this was and, and, and what it meant and the truth that comes from that event that occurred. Now, on a, on a, on the subject of, of salvation, on a theological level, the significance of the event is that Mary made it possible for the Son of God to come into the world to go to the cross, the whole whole story. That's important. I want us to be reminded of that this morning. But even on another level, a a practical level, and I don't mean the other, the theological level is not practical, but what I mean is even on a practical level for you and I to walk away this morning with a a new sense of, of understanding that God can and does use anybody. So, let's start with this idea this morning. Here's the first one. If you'd like to take uh, notes in the back of your information sheet as an outline, feel free to use it if you'd like to do so. God chooses ordinary people. How many of you in this room, you know, in, this sen- in that sense, would, would consider yourself an ordinary person? I'm just, an, I'm just an ordinary person. Got good news for you. God chooses ordinary people. When this story opens, here in Luke chapter 1, this is kind of the, the beginning point, if you will, of the New Testament times, right? This kind of begins with the birth of Christ, and, and it goes on from there. The time period in between this time that we're beginning to read about, the, the, the beginning of the New Testament era, if you will, the time between there and the end of the Old Testament, as the last prophet of Malachi, as that, those last prophets close out, there's a, there's, a ti- there's a gap, there's a time gap between when that ends and when the time of the New Testament begins. That time period is known as the intertestamental period. The time between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. That time period was roughly 400 years. So, now... now Think about it. Put this in the context because we, you know, we live in such a fast-moving world. It's hard for us to think even about you know, something that happened two months ago 
or how quickly things change. And so, it's, or if we think about the birth of our nation, and we're 200 and something years old, 400 years passed between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, the intertestamental period. And during that time, God was basically silent. Now, what I mean by that is during that time, God didn't raise up, as far as we know, God didn't raise up any, any you know, significant or major prophet to declare uh, the word of God to the people. God didn't um, reveal any new revelation. He didn't give out any new information during that time. For 400 years, what the people of Israel had, and that's, that's what, who's going on here, it involves the whole world, but God was born into the nation of Israel. He was birthed to a Jewish girl. For 400 years, the people of Israel really, the only thing they had to hold on to were the promises of the Old Testament, their Bible. And particularly or specifically the promise that the day was going to come when God would send the Messiah. The Messiah. The word means Savior or Deliverer. That's, that's what it means. Now, it's true that the Jewish people were a little mixed up on what the Messiah was going to come and do. We've talked about that lots of times before. If you've been part of cross-culture, they thought that he was going to come and kind of be a military leader. God had whole different plans. We, we needed to be delivered from a lot more than just a, a military conqueror. We needed to be delivered from sin. So that it's true, they were a little mixed up, but they, they held on to this promise for 400 years, and really even before then, they held on to this promise that someday God is going to send the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer. And that was an important promise for them because for 400 years and even before then, going back several centuries, the people of Israel had basically lived under bondage to one foreign ruler after the other. They had been uh, dominated and conquered by the Assyrians and, and then the Babylonians and then the Medo-Persian Empire ruled them for a while. The Egyptian and some of the Egyptian Empire came in, uh, especially during the intertestamental period, and ruled them for a while. Then Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire rose up and, and they moved in and they conquered and ruled over them for a while. And now by the time we begin to read this story of Mary... The Roman Empire has risen up and has conquered really most of the known world. And they are controlling, dominating, ruling in Israel. And I'm, th I'm, thinking, I'm thinking that during that time, and we'll get back to Mary in a minute, but, but I'm thinking during that time, 400 years, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of prayers were lifted up to God. During that time, God, send the Messiah. God, we're being oppressed. God, uh, it's not fair. We're, it's being, we're being treated ill. And God, the way they, all the, God, send the Messiah. Man, millions of prayers, I'm sure, were lifted up during that time. Send the Messiah, send the Messiah, send the Messiah. And for 400 years, God was seemingly silent. I'm thinking we can probably relate to that. I'm thinking we can probably relate to the idea of, of praying and God remaining seemingly silent. Because I think that idea for us as followers of Jesus is one of the big struggles that we have in our lives. And we have struggles at times, right, with this whole God thing and faith and holding on and all that kind of stuff. And I think the idea that we pray and at times when seemingly God doesn't seem to move, we struggle with that. Or I do. So the people of Israel 
are praying and they're not hearing an answer. We pray and at times and we think we don't have an answer. By the way, I keep saying seemingly, listen to me, because there is no prayer offered up by a child of God, a person in relationship with God, who is living as best they know in accordance with God's will, based on what his word says, there is no prayer that God does not answer. That at least deserved that that's right. You know why you didn't answer? Because we, we struggle with it. Well, well I'm, I, I prayed this that time, or I'm praying this, and, and I, don't, I don't see what's, what's happening. I'm telling you, there is no, based on, based on the authority of the Word of God, there is no prayer that is offered up by a child of God living in accordance with God's will that God does not answer. Now, we may not always like the answer. Because sometimes, now listen to me, don't run with this too far, but sometimes the answer is no. And, 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 and just, just like any child I know, we don't like to hear the word no when we want something. I, I mentioned, if you were here last week, I mentioned that um, my two-year-old grandson, Emery, uh, last week uh, told me to go to my office when I was trying to keep him from picking on his older cousins. And uh, this, Friday, this, this week, earlier this week, we were at uh, Chick-fil-A, and we were having lunch. And uh, uh, a couple of kids got up and ran, Dakota went up and ran and played in the playground, and Emery got up and ran there too. But Emery doesn't really like to play on the playground that much. He likes to open and shut the door into the playground. He, you know, the playground, yeah, a little bit here, but he's all about open and shutting the door, open and shutting the door, open and shutting the door, open and shutting the door. Well, there's two ladies there. One of them was a Chick-fil-A employee, and one was this very nice lady I had this, was having this conversation with. Um, and you could just tell it was kind of freaking them out, you know, that here's this little two-year-old kid, and he's pushing this door and pulling this door, and, you know, and they're just, they're just scared to death that he's, what, he's going to smash his fingers in the door, right? I kind of figure if he does it one time, he won't want to play in the door anymore. But, <laughs> but anyway... That you, you can just tell this is just kind of, this is freaking them out that he's open and shutting this door, open and shutting this door. So I said, well, I, you know, I better do something. Don't want to so I get up and I go over and, uh, and I grab a hold of the door so he can't push or pull anymore. And I tell him, no, Emery, you, you can't, you got to go in or you got to go out. No, you can't do this. He lets go of the door. He starts pushing on me. He says, Poppy, eat lunch. <laughs> go eat lunch. That's what he says. Why? Because we don't like to hear no. We're like that. We don't like to hear no. Listen to me. I'm not saying that every time we pray, God says no. I'm just saying that, that we have to understand that, that sometimes that may be the answer. We just don't like it. We don't. Sometimes God's answer is wait. And like most children, we don't like to hear that we have to wait when we want something. My oldest grandson, Wyatt, uh, Friday afternoon, he came up to me and he said, uh, Poppy, I need to tell you something. You, you know that's going to be good. I need to tell you something. When you were gone, I, I had left to, to go to the hospital to see somebody. He said, when you were gone, me and Coda, Dakota, his brother Dakota, me and Coda went in your office. And uh, well, you got to understand, the ritual around my house is I have, I have these Tic Tacs in my office uh, orange ones and red ones and yellow ones and all that kind of stuff. And so if the grandkids are there, they come up, you know, to my office and they each get one Tic Tac and that's kind of a deal. Um, so he said, Poppy, while you were gone, me and Coda uh, went into your office and, hey, listen, here's what he says, and stole some of your Tic Tacs accidentally. <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't accidentally. 
you and your brother didn't want to wait. And so you took matters into your own hands, which is what we do. When God says wait, well, God's not answering my prayer. I better do something. That's where the nation of Israel is, okay? They're for 400 years, they're praying. Now, all of a sudden, there is a flurry of activity going on. I mean, for 400 years, God hadn't said anything. And now, just in the last, in the last few months, God is dispatching uh, Gabriel for the second time to go to earth and deliver a message to somebody, to have a close encounter of the most important kind with somebody. The first time, Gabriel, as we looked at last week, the first time, Gabriel gets to go to the beautiful city of Jerusalem. And it was, by all accounts, this beautiful city of Jerusalem. He gets to meet with this this priest of of the holy God, this guy that interceded between the people and, and God. He got to go into the temple, that splendid building that the people had built according to God's instructions. There in the very holy place, beside the altar of incense, he gets to meet with Zacharias and tell him the message that he gives to him. How strange it must have seemed to Gabriel when he receives his second assignment, this time to go to a city called Nazareth. Now, it's, it's called a city, but really only because the Greek language doesn't really have a word for town. The word means weed patch. Some of you have probably heard that before. And by all accounts, it was. It was a, a little town in a little country in the middle of nowhere. And Mary, well, Mary was a nobody in the middle of nowhere. But ladies and gentlemen, that's what God does. God uses ordinary people. That's who he's looking for. Ordinary people to use. I was, uh, I was doing an interim in Green Sea, South Carolina when I was in seminary. It's a little town down in South Carolina. And uh, I was, uh, we, and I usually went down on Friday evening and uh, would drive back Sunday night. And so uh, when I was down there one time, there was a guy in the hospital um, in a nearby larger city. And so uh, I went to, to see him. Now, he was not a believer. He didn't come to church. His wife did. His wife's very faithful. His family, they were very faithful. But he had just never had time for God and all that kind of God stuff. It just, you know, wasn't his deal. He was a hard worker. He was a farmer and all this stuff. Uh, but but he, was, he was in the hospital and he was very, very ill. He was, in fact, near death. It was, it was super, super critical. And so, uh, so I go down there on a Saturday and I go in to see him. And, uh, you know, I, I know... You know, anyway, <laughs> I walk in the door, and the whole family is in there, all gathered around Papa. And uh, and I walk in the door, and somebody turns around, and they see me, and they say, "Thank God, the pastor's here." I'm like, Boom. <laughs> so you know, we met, and we had a sweet time there in the room, and 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 we we prayed. I did. I I prayed for Papa, and and you know. Prayed that God would touch his life and heal him and, you know, all, all this, whatever all I prayed that day, I don't know. But the, the, the bad, well, it's not bad, it's not the bad part. Uh, he, he, he recovered. I mean, he, he, uh, he got better um, uh, pretty miraculously after that time. He, got, he just got better when the doctors had pretty much written him off. And not only that, a, a, a 
I don't know, a week or two or three after he got home, um, he asked us to come over to his house and see him. And, and he just, with tears in his eyes, he committed his life to Jesus Christ uh, there in his living room. And it, and it was a fabulous time, and it was, it was wonderful. But listen, it wasn't because the pastor was there. It's not, listen, God's not, it's not about, it's not about your ability or your talents or your education or, or it's not about any of that stuff. I'm, I'm not saying God can't use that stuff. Certainly he can, but it's not about that. All God is looking for is availability. All God is looking for is availability. Are you available because he uses just ordinary people. In the book of uh, Acts, we find these words. God is no respecter of persons. Oh, you think, oh, well, I, I, could, I could never do that. I, I don't know this. Or I'm, I'm, I'm too young to do this. Or I'm too old to do that. Or, or I don't. How about this one? First Corinthians. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The foolish things meaning the thing, oh, the world would do it this way. God doesn't do it that way. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. When I was, in, uh, when I was growing up, um, in my neighborhood where I was growing up, we, we just kids, and it, it was a different time. You know, we didn't have video games and all that stuff. I know, shocker, it's hard for y'all to believe. <laughs> there was a time when there weren't video games or cell phones or anything else, but that's the world in which I, I grew up in. Um, I was telling somebody the other day, when I grew up in the neighborhood, the town, small town, I grew up, we, we, our neighborhood, we had a party line. Who knows what that is? Yeah, all, all us old people, we know what that is. Everybody had the same line. Everybody in the neighborhood that's had the same line. And you just picked up the phone, and if, if you heard talking, that meant someone else was, was using the phone. And so out of courtesy, of course, you naturally put the phone back down. You would never listen. That, that was the town I grew up in. Well, in, in, in my neighborhood, you know, we, there was a group of us kids that hung around, a group of us guys who hung around together, and we did all this stuff together, and we played all kinds of sports and stuff. And we played baseball uh, on a vacant lot next to Dr. Tenniswood's house. Dr. Tenniswood was a dentist, and he was probably the richest guy in our neighborhood. And, uh, and, and he had a, had a son, his son Mark. He was quite a bit younger than us, but we always let Mark play because his dad owned the lot where he built the baseball field. We played, we played baseball there. We played football on another vacant lot uh, down the street a little ways. Um, and the guy that owned that lot, had one of the houses, the guy that owned that lot, he didn't really want us playing football there. And so uh, he began to plant orange trees and lemon trees and, and stuff like that in, in the lot so that we couldn't play football there. But I don't know, mysteriously, something kept happen, happening to his trees. They, they kept dying uh, uh, overnight or falling down and all this stuff happened. So he eventually gave up and just let us play football. There. And of course, we'd play basketball in any driveway that, that had a, a goal in it that we could play. I used to, I used to pretend, give my age away, but I used, to, I used to pretend that I was like John Havlicek or Pete Maravich, you know, making these smooth moves and driving it to the, to the hoop and all this kind of stuff. There was this kid in our neighborhood named Jim Smith. With a name like that, it just seems like you ought to be born a grown up, doesn't it? I just, his name was Jim Smith. But we called him Goggles. I know, it was probably bullying, but we didn't know any better back then. His name was Goggles, and we called him that, as you can imagine, because he had these glasses that were as thick as the bottom of Coke bottles. And that's what, just what we called him. He seemed to be okay with it. <laughs> I, I was lost, okay? I, I wasn't a follower of Jesus. So we called him Goggles. 
Goggles was quite possibly the worst athlete that any of us had ever seen in the history of the world. And so when it came time to pick teams, nobody, nobody was going to, nobody wanted to pick goggles, right? Hey, y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all have been there. You've either been goggles or you've been, you know what I'm saying? Nobody wanted, he was always going to be the last person picked because he was terrible at everything. Guys, sisters sometimes got picked before goggles would get picked. (laughs) And that's not a slam, ladies. I'm just saying, you know, when you're a group of kids. So sure enough, every time he would be the last one picked. But you know what? He would, he would, he would, he was there every day. He would keep coming every day. And there was always this anticipation that, that maybe today I won't be the last one picked. But he always was. Because if we were playing football, you wanted, you wanted an Eskel McEwen. Because Buddy Eskel scored touchdowns, man. Why would you want a goggles when you can have an Eskel McEwen? And when we played, when we played basketball, you wanted Billy Roll. Because Billy Roll was tall. And he could rebound, and he could shoot. Why would you possibly want a goggles to play basketball? And so he was always the last one chosen. And you know, you can look at that, and really in life in general, and the way we end up doing things. God doesn't do things that way. God doesn't care what your skill level is. God doesn't care what your limitations are. God doesn't care what you think your inabilities are. It's all about availability. God uses ordinary people. Now, let me me give you another idea. God uses ordinary people for extraordinary tasks. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 29. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now watch this. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Wow. Talk about an overachiever. At this point in Mary's life, I suspect she's just hoping she's going to turn out to be a good cook. She's just hoping, you know, she's betrothed to Joseph and she's got this marriage coming on. And and most of us, most people believe that Mary was a, was a teenager, probably somewhere anywhere from 14 to 16, 17 years old. She's a nobody from the middle of nowhere. And she, she's, just, she's just hoping she can change a diaper or something. I, I don't know. Talk about an overachiever, but that's what God does, ladies and gentlemen. He takes ordinary people and he uses them to achieve extraordinary things when they make themselves available to him. The name uh, Jesus by the way, means Jehovah is salvation. Mary, little Mary, little old Mary from from nowhere. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, shall name him Jesus, he'll be great, be called the Son of the Most High. Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Extraordinary. That's what God does. Uh, Probably the, the, the most famous... It would certainly be one of the top one, two most famous Christian works of literature outside of the Bible is a book by the name of Pilgrim's Progress, written by a man named John Bunyan. Anybody read it? I know Russell has. I assigned it to him. He read it. (laughs) Pilgrim's Progress. Great read, by the way. It's an allegory about the Christian life, the struggles we face. 
was written many, many hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Bunyan was a, a tinker by trade. He was a, a tinsmith. He worked with stuff, and he was as lost as lost can be. He, he, didn't, he didn't care about God. By all accounts, he was just foul-mouthed and, you know, just everything else. One day, Bunyan was walking down a street, and he heard two ladies. Don't even know their names. Just two ordinary ladies going about their day, going about their life, doing their responsibilities, and he walks by, and he just happens to overhear them talking about, I think as Bunyan puts it, talking about the things of God. They're just, they're just discussing this thing. Maybe they're talking about the birth of the Savior. Maybe they're talking about so great a salvation. Maybe they're talking about the fact that someday God is going to return and set all of this right. I don't know what all they were talking about, but they were talking about the things of God. And God used it to just pierce Bunyan's heart, this lost heathen who wanted nothing to do with God. And God changed him. Extraordinary. Just two ordinary ladies. It's what God does. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Um... Most of you probably don't know the name uh, Mordecai Ham. Some of you may, but most of you probably don't know the name Mordecai Ham. He was, a, by the world's standards, he was a small-time ta- small evangelist. But in 1934, he was conducting a small revival service uh, in or near the Charlotte area. And a young man, an ordinary young man named William Franklin Graham, gave his life to Jesus Christ in that revival service. And Billy Graham has preached to more people in his lifetime than anyone in the history of the world has preached the message of Christ. It's what God does, just ordinary people for extraordinary things. Can I say this to you, and then we'll move on to the final idea this morning. God has called you. Yeah, you. Don't look around at anybody else. God has called you to do extraordinary things. Can I just mention just a couple that I could could think? If you're here, if if you're a, a, a parent, God has charged you with the extraordinary task of raising children in a godless age. God has charged you and me to be salt and light in a world that is so dark that people don't even know where to turn. They don't even know what to do. They just live life from one day to the next because that's all there is. They don't know anything else. It is so dark around them. And you know what we do? Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just ordinary. You know, I, I hadn't been to seminary. I, I couldn't possibly tell anybody about Jesus. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I, I'm not the most eloquent. Or I'm, I, I'm not uh, the, the most outgoing. I'm not the best looking. Or I'm not whatever. Whatever it is that we use to say, well, I, you know, I, God could never use me. Shame on us. For saying that and doubting what God can do. God can use you and me to impact our family members, our co-workers. God can use you and me to go across the street or across the world. We can do extraordinary things because God wants to do extraordinary things. To save one soul, to, to to change one person's eternal address from hell to heaven is an extraordinary thing. And God wants to use ordinary people, just like Mary, just like you, and just like me. All right, one final idea to kind of wrap this thing up. God fuses the ordinary 
and the extraordinary through the miraculous. That's how he does it. Look at this. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? How am I going to have a baby? I've never even had sex. I, I, and I'm pretty sure that's how it works. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For, the reason, for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. She who was called barren is now in, his, in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. By the way, that word in verse 35, the, the Most High will overshadow you. It's the same word used in Exodus chapter 40, I think it is, to describe God's presence in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. Literally, Mary's womb became the Holy of Holies for the Son of God. That's miraculous. That's what God does. He takes little old ordinary people like us and he achieves extraordinary things and he does it through his power, through his power, through his power. When we simply make ourselves available to him, he accomplishes through the miraculous. Whatever it is that God would desire to do through you and me, we need to understand, I, I can't do this. This is not in me to do this. It requires some type of supernatural power to accomplish changing a person's eternal destiny or raising up godly children or uh, living a godly life in a, in a world that's driving, that does everything it can to try and drive me to ungodliness. I need God's power within me doing it. By the way, can I just say this too? Oftentimes I believe that, why, that people that get frustrated with Christianity or, or walk away from Christianity, this is exactly their problem. They've been trying to do Christianity, they've been trying to do the Christian life without ever understanding that what they're supposed to do is show up, be available, make themselves available to God, surrender themselves to God and say, God, as Mary said, be it done to me as to your maidservant, as your bond slave, be it done to me just as you have said. And then God works through that to accomplish it through the miraculous. I, uh, let me just tell you this story. As, as best I can tell from what I understand, it is a true story. It, it's an old story. It took place a number of years ago. But there was a young pastor and his wife um, who, uh, fresh out of seminary, uh, went to their first church. They were assigned in their denomination. They were assigned a, uh, an old, actually had closed down a church in, uh, in, in Brooklyn, New York, uh, urban area in Brooklyn, New York, and they were assigned to, to reopen and revitalize that church. And they arrived on the field in October. And when they got there, it was a mess. The church was a mess. It was run down. It was, it was dirty. It was just years of neglect, and, and there was no people there, and, but they were very excited about it. And so they, so they went to work. They went to work. They began to, to uh, repair uh, pews and, and paint and, and, and repair plaster and all these things they began to do to get it ready because they, they set this goal. They're going to have the first service on Christmas Eve. They're going to have it ready by Christmas Eve. And so they, they, worked, they worked hard. And by December 18th, they were ahead of schedule. They had the place. It was looking fantastic. They were ready for the Christmas Eve service. On December 19th, a rainstorm hit New York City that was apparently lasted for uh, uh, two, two days, I guess it was torrential downpours. On December 21st, the young pastor made his way back over to the church and he was just brokenhearted to find that the roof had begun to leak during that torrential rainstorm and it had caused 
a large patch of plaster on the, on the back, on the wall behind where, he, where the platform was and everything behind there, large patch of pla- plaster to, uh, to fall off of the wall. And, and it just looked awful, and he was discouraged, and he was, didn't know, should I just cancel the whole Christmas Eve service and wait till we can get it repaired so that we look our best when we open our doors? And that was his mindset when he left to go home. On his way home, he happened to go by a business that was having um, a, a kind of a yard sale kind of thing to raise money for charity. It was Christmas time, and so this business was doing this. So he stopped in, and he went in, and inside the, the store, he found this beautiful uh, handmade uh, Tablecloth, really is what it was. Intricate ivory and lace and all these designs. And right in the center of it, it had a uh, cross stitched or crocheted or whatever is done to, to do that kind of stuff. Right in the center of it. And it, it, was just, it was just beautiful. And so he had this idea. And he purchased the, the tablecloth and he went back to the church. And just as he got to the church, he, he, would, he was going in the front of the church. There was an elderly lady that was hurrying as best she could uh, to get to right in front of the church because a bus, the bus stopped right there and she was trying to catch the bus and she didn't make it. So he invited her into the church uh, where it was warm and to wait for the next bus which didn't come for 45 more minutes. So the lady w- came in, sat down in a pew. She was very grateful and just sat there and he went up and began his work. He got a ladder, he got, you know, wire or whatever all he needed to put this tablecloth up. He had this idea to take this tablecloth and put it up, see if it would cover this ugly piece of broken plaster. And so he, he, he finished his work. He got it all up there, and it was perfect. He said it just covered the, the, the broken plaster, and it just, light was on. He said it was just like it was just made for that spot. Well, he got down off the ladder, and, and he heard the, the elderly woman beginning to come down the, the aisle, and he turned around, and he said her face was just white as a sheet, and her mouth was open, and she said, Pastor, where did you get that tablecloth? And so he told her where he got the tablecloth and the whole deal. And she said, look on the corner and see if the initials EBG are stitched into that tablecloth. And they were. The tablecloth was hers. She had made the tablecloth 35 years earlier when she lived in Austria. This was just before just as World War II was breaking out. She had made the tablecloth for her and her husband, and she explained to the pastor that, that her and her husband were fairly well-to-do in Austria before the war. When the war broke out, um, they, they had to flee for their lives. And she told the pastor that her husband had, had forced her, had made her leave. He wasn't quite ready, but he made her leave for safety's sake, and he was going to follow her in a week. They were going to try and get to America. He was going to follow her in a week, and, and they, would, they would catch up. But she got arrested before she could get away and was placed in a concentration camp. And she said, when I got out, I couldn't, there were, there were no records, everything was destroyed. And I never saw my husband again. I came on to America and I've been here ever since, but I never, never saw him again. The pastor tried to give her the tablecloth back. She wouldn't take it. She wanted the church to have it. So he insisted on driving her home. He said, let me drive you home. This is the very least I can do. She lived in the other side of Stanton Island, and it was only in Brooklyn, happened to be in Brooklyn that day for a house cleaning job she had picked up. He took her home. Christmas Eve came. The service was beautiful. Everything was fantastic. The people loved it. It was a, a good crowd came out. 
and the people began to go out and thank the pastor and his wife as they greeted them and said they were going to come back and they were excited about the new church. The pastor noticed there was an elderly gentleman that's sitting in the church that didn't get up. He just sat there and he recognized him. He'd seen him in the neighborhood before. So when everybody was gone, he went over to the gentleman and he said, Pastor, where did you get that tablecloth? So he told him the story about how he was at this yard sale thing, kind of thing and, and had purchased the tablecloth. And the man said, that tablecloth looks exactly like a tablecloth that my wife made for us 35 years ago in Austria. And how could there possibly two t- be two tablecloths exactly the same as that? <laughs> the pastor said, let me take you for a drive. <laughs> and he drove him to the other side of Stanton Island and helped, as, as the story goes, helped him up the two flights of stairs to this small apartment where this elderly lady lived. And she opened the door, and as the story is told, uh, he witnessed the most beautiful Christmas celebration he'd ever seen, or anyone had ever seen in their life. Ordinary people accomplishing extraordinary things through the miraculous. The key, the key is verse 38. Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. That's it, ladies. That's it, gentlemen. Will you and I come to that place where we say, I I give it up. I, I give up my life. I give up my rights. I give up my privileges. I give up my wants. I give up my desires. I give it all up to God. Be it done to me according to your word. When you and I get to that place, watch out. Because God's going to use little old ordinary you for extraordinary things. It begins, can I just say this? It begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have to come to that place. If you've never come to that place, you have to come to that place where you say, Lord God, I am a sinner, I'm separated from you, and I deserve hell. I really do. But your word tells me that you sent your son to pay, the part, to pay the price so that I could be pardoned from my sins. And by faith, I acknowledge my guilt and I accept Christ's payment for my sins. Would you come into my life? Would you be my Lord? I lay it all down. It's all yours. You do it. You get to that place. Behold, the bondservant of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. Are you there? Thanks, Pastor. Well, we certainly hope that you've enjoyed today's message. But more importantly, we hope today's message has been an encouragement to you. It's easy for us to feel at times like our life is nothing special. Life can seem, in a word, ordinary. But as Mary learned, when an ordinary life is given to God, He makes it extraordinary. And He uses that life to do miraculous things. There are no ordinary people from God's perspective. When we make ourselves available to Him, no matter how impossible something might seem, He can use us to accomplish more than we can imagine. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross 
and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.